Well, if you would uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Haggai chapter 1. If you haven't got a Bible, there are some green uh, church Bibles at the back and some large print ones. It would help you to have a Bible to follow along, so don't feel embarrassed to go and get one or just nudge someone next to you uh, to get one. Uh, But in those green church Bibles, Haggai chapter 1 is page 948, and in the large print Bibles, 1474. And I'm going to read uh, from chapter 1, verse 12, uh, down to the end of the chapter in verse 15. So let's hear God's word together. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. This is God's word. And I've called this uh, sermon, How to Respond to a Challenging Sermon. How to Respond to a Challenging Sermon, which is what we saw last week at the beginning of Haggai chapter 1. Now, how, how do you respond When someone tells you that you have done something wrong, how do you respond when someone tells you that you have done something wrong? Uh, Perhaps uh, young people have this at school or with your mums and dads telling you off. Uh, Some of us may have that in our workplaces. Uh, Some of us will have that from our spouses. We may have that from our friends, and we even have that happen at church, and that's not a bad thing, we'll see. Uh, And we certainly get it when we come to read God's Word. How do you respond when someone tells you you've done something wrong, or you're challenged on your behavior? Well, this happens to all of us, doesn't it? And usually I think there are one of four reactions when people tell us that we are wrong. The first reaction is denial. Denial. I don't do that. I haven't done this. It wasn't me. Denial. Do you recognize that? For some, there is deflection. So we put out the the same or a different fault in somebody else. So Yeah, but have you seen what they're doing? Or 
at least I'm not as bad as that person over there. I'm pointing at the wall, not anyone in particular. But that's deflection. You're told you do something wrong and you deflect it away to someone else. For some, there is detachment. So, yeah, so what? I don't really care. That happens sometimes. Or the fourth one is despair. We're so upset at making a mistake, we feel like we are just the worst person in the world. Uh, everything in my life is wrong. I am just rubbish. And we fall into depression and despair because we've been found to do something wrong. Do you recognize any of those responses in your life? Denial, deflection, detachment, or despair? And perhaps some of us had one of those responses last week where God, through Haggai, challenged us on making excuses for sin and or not serving in God's kingdom as we ought. Maybe you heard that sermon, you've read that passage, and you've had one of those responses. Some of you may have denied the sermon had anything to do with you at all. Some of you may have deflected God by saying, I serve way more than others, or I'm not as bad as that church member. Some of may have been detached and said, well, I'm not really bothered at all. And some of you may have despaired and thought, I must be the worst Christian ever. How can I even call myself a Christian? Uh, and we forget that God has forgiven us of our past and he equips us for our future. All of those responses to challenging sermons are wrong. How should we respond to a challenging sermon? Here's one word that we get from this passage. Obedience. Obedience. Uh, I remember when I became a Christian, uh, I, was, um, I was a bit old for Sunday school, but I remember a song that our Sunday school used to sing. I'm not going to sing it to you, but I will. Uh, my singing's as bad as my zumba. <laughs> uh, but I will tell you the, the words uh, of the song. It says this because um, I remember it. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Doing exactly what the Lord commands, doing it happily. Action is the key. Do it immediately. Enjoy, you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. And today, we're going to have a very simple sermon that shows us how to do just that, to show our belief in Jesus and our love for Jesus through hearing his word and putting it into practice, obedience. But before we do, I just want to be clear on something very important. Obedience, although shows that we love Jesus, it does not save us from sin. We need saving because of our disobedience. And the only way of being saved from God's judgment is by trusting in Jesus' obedience and his death on the cross, which pays the penalty for our sin. And so we come to him for forgiveness. We can't be saved from sin by obedience, but our obedience shows that we have been saved. And so when we become Christians, his spirit comes to live in us and we begin to obey his word. I want to be clear on that from the get-go so that no one here thinks, well, I can be right with God through my obedience. You see, you cannot be right with God through obeying. 
but obeying shows that God has worked in you and that you are a forgiven person. And so whilst it doesn't save us, obedience is the response as a Christian to the salvation we have in Jesus. And in the first sermon in Haggai, there was a rebuke to the people for making excuses and not prioritizing the building of the temple, but instead they were building their own houses. It was a case of my kingdom come, my will be done, rather than your kingdom come, your will be done. And we too were rebuked last week, weren't we? By Haggai's words. Because we're not involved in building a physical bricks and mortar temple, but we are involved in the building of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ as he works through his people to accomplish that work. We are called to worship him, and that is the number one priority in our lives. And so in today's passage, we see the response to the rebuke that Haggai gave last week. Now, there are many ways that we might respond to rebuke and to God's word in general. We've seen some of those, but the right way is found here in this passage. We see here a fantastic response to a sermon, a response that results in them beginning to work on the house of God. In fact, if, uh, if this morning uh, we responded like this, it would be the, the greatest response that we can have to a sermon. This is wonderful response that we see here, a model response. So in these verses, we're going to see three aspects to obedience to God's word. Number one, we're going to see who obeyed. Number two, why they obeyed. And number three, how they obeyed. So quite a simple outline, who obeyed, why they obeyed, how they obeyed. So number one, who obeyed. Look again at the beginning of verse 12 in your Bibles. We see there who obeyed. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedach, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. So first of all, there was Zerubbabel. Remember, he was the governor of Judah. He was the leader of the people. He was from the line of David. He was recognized as, as God's man to lead the people in Judah. So he was first. Second, there was Joshua. He was the high priest. He was the religious leader of the people, the one who led the worship of God in the land. With these two, Zerubbabel and Joshua, you have a representative of the whole uh, people of God, and they are named first in the description of who obeyed. Those who have positions of leadership must lead by example. Those in positions of leadership in the kingdom of God must be the first to obey God's word. They don't lead people only by speaking God's word. They lead people in their obedience to God's word. A church should be led in its obedience by their elders. Elders who do not live under God's word themselves cannot lead God's people to do so themselves. Of course, elders are not perfect. We sin just like everybody else. But they should be known, despite their fight against sin, by their submission to the Scriptures. In a home, a husband should lead his family through submission to God's Word, being the first 
to obey so a family can see what obedience looks like. Those in positions of leadership at work or in the community should be known as people of integrity who do what is right. Too often in our society, there is one rule for those in charge and one rule for everyone else. Do you, do you remember the outrage recently that during the lockdowns, there were those that were saying what the rules should be, but not following those same rules themselves? It was right to be outraged at that, wasn't it? You can't lead others to do what you are not prepared to do yourself. And the same is true in the kingdom of God. Leaders should, be, should lead by their obedience to God's word. It's interesting if you read 1 Timothy and Titus about the qualifications for elders and deacons. There are very few um, talents in those descriptions. It is character that's important. Character. We lead by our obedience to God's word ourselves. But secondly, notice in verse 12, the phrase remnant is used. The whole remnant of the peoples. It wasn't just the leaders. It was the whole remnant of the people. Now, remnant is a biblical word used to describe God's people who have been preserved when many have fallen away, either through sin or through judgment. And God promises to his, to, to, to his people that there they will always be a remnant that is preserved. And in the New Testament, the church is God's remnant. Those who have been called out, purified by his spirit, and are heirs to his promises. They are the, the people of God, called out, chosen by him. And obedience to God's word is a mark of that remnant. It was those who were truly God's who obeyed his word. The obedience was amongst the whole community of the remnant. Now for us today, the, the whole of our church community is called to submit to God's word. So it's not just something for some kind of elite set of Christians within the church, no. The whole church is called to submit to the scriptures and it is a characteristic of being the church that we do so. Which is why we have church discipline. If someone is completely ignoring the scriptures, they are not submitting to God's word, they can't be a member of the church. In fact, in our church, specifically in Pelsville Evangelical Church, amongst our core commitments is faithfulness to God's word. As part of our membership commitments, we are committing to these words. As a new person in Christ, I seek to live a holy life as a child of God, being obedient to his word. If you're a member of this church, you have made that commitment, you see? And Jesus said too, as you read in John 15, if you love him, you will keep his commandments. And so a sign of being part of God's remnant is that you will seek to obey his word. So that means there's a challenge to all of us here. Are you reading God's word? Are you attending church beyond just this morning? Are you hearing it preached? Are you discussing it together in home groups? Are you obeying the scriptures? Who obeyed? The whole community of God's people obeyed. 
Secondly, though, we see why they obeyed in verses 12 to 14. And we see three reasons for their obedience. So number one, we see that they recognized God's voice. Notice in verse 12 how the people obeyed. They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him. So when Haggai spoke, it was God's voice through him, and they recognized this, and because they recognized the voice of God, they obeyed. So notice a couple of things here. Notice how the Lord is called their God. Earlier in the chapter, we read the people were referred to by God as this people, but now when they were going to obey, they saw their true relationship with the Lord. He is their God. Lord, by the way, L-O-R-D, is the personal name of God for the people of God. The Lord. It's the God of Israel. And for us, it's our God, the Lord. In fact, in these few verses, the phrase, the Lord their God, is repeated a number of times. Three times, in fact. Twice in verse 12 and then again in verse 14. They obey out of a relationship with God that is personal. We're not obeying some God out there who doesn't care about us. We obey because we know he's our God. He's our Lord. He's our Father. Jesus said in John 10, his sheep recognize his voice and follow him. We do so because he is our good shepherd. God is our Father. We obey as his children The Lord is our God. And so we recognize the voice of God as the voice of our Father. But also notice how they treated Haggai's words as the word of God. Haggai was a prophet called to give the word of the Lord. Now today we don't have uh, prophets in exactly the same way. Uh, we, uh, We have uh, the Bible though as the word of God which we follow and we recognize as God's word. And when people preach from God's word and explain it and apply it, we ought to recognize that preaching as the voice of God coming through a man who has been sent by God to deliver a message. So this morning as I'm preaching, I'm not giving you kind of Steve's thoughts on this particular subject or what I might think. Some of you may care what I think. Most of you don't and neither should you. What I am doing here is proclaiming this is what God's word says. This is what it means. This is how we apply God's word. Paul the Apostle commends the church in Thessalonica for like this. He says, We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, The word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. So during a sermon, brothers and sisters, we must pay attention. We must pay attention. Not because of who, of the preacher necessarily, but because this is the word of God. This is the word of God. Imagine if you're, I don't know if any of you have ever had a phone call that you're kind of waiting by the phone, uh, desperate to, 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 to hear from. Or maybe a message or 
um, or, or going to meet somebody and you're, you're dead excited. You're, you're standing there. You're waiting there. I imagine if you were going to, you know, the king had said, I'm going to call you at three o'clock today. Well, you'd be, you'd be by the phone, wouldn't you, waiting for this person to ring or waiting for them to arrive. Every single week on a Sunday, you know, the God of the whole universe has a message for you. He has a message for you. Shouldn't we want to hear what he has to say? Shouldn't we pay attention to this message? It's from the God of the, the whole universe, the, the Lord of heaven and earth, who is, who is our Father. We want to hear what he has to say, don't we? If we're his children, for sure. So they recognized God's voice. But secondly, they revered God's name. At the end of verse 12, we read that the people feared the Lord. To fear the Lord means to recognize God as God and to respond appropriately. It's not necessarily being terrified, although there may be times of this, but it's simply to put yourself under him, to honor him, to know him as God and to know that you are not God. And this gives reason for our obedience to God's word. It's saying to God, you are God, your will be done. I'm not God, I want to submit to what you have to say because you are God. That's, that's what it is to fear God. Right, we need to move on because we've only looked at one verse so far, verse 12. The others will be a bit quicker. But the third reason behind this obedience was that the people had received God's spirit. Look at verse 13. Haggai encourages the people there with some familiar words from the Lord. He says in verse 13, I am with you. I am with you, declares the Lord. It's familiar because it is a phrase which often appears before God's people are about to undertake a task which is impossible. If God's people in the Old Testament or somebody um, who represented God's people was going to do something that was impossible, almost always you'll find God going to them and reminding them, I am with you. And when God says, I am with you, that means they're able to do the task because it's not in their own power. So when there was a, a famine in the land and Isaac wondered how God would fulfill his promise, God said, I will be with you. When Jacob had to go back to Canaan but was afraid of his brother Esau, God said to him, I will be with you. Before Moses went to deliver Israel from Egypt, the mighty superpower of the day, and Moses out there in the desert, just a shepherd, an old man at that, God said, I will be with you. Before Joshua was going to lead God's people into the promised land, God said, guess what? I will be with you. Before Gideon was going to defeat the Midianites, God said, I will be with you. When David desired to build the first temple, Nathan came to him and said, the Lord your God is with you. When Jeremiah was told to preach to an obstinate nation and he was terrified of doing so, God said to him, I will be with you. And Jesus Christ gives the church the great commission, an impossible task, if ever there was one at the end of Matthew 28. And he ends it with these words, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
And the building of the temple here in Haggai was yet another impossible task. But it was not impossible. Why? Because God was with them. For Christians today, you know, obeying God is impossible. It's just impossible unless God is with us. Fulfilling that commission to reach others with the gospel is impossible unless God is with us. Doing anything in the name of Jesus is impossible unless it was in the name of Jesus because he is with us. He is with you, Christian. He will help you to fulfill all the work he's called you to do. That dark path you're walking down, he is with you. That impossible job he has given you to do, he is with you. He is with all of us and he's with us always to the very end. You can obey his word. You can walk through difficulties, not in your own strength, but because God is with you. And the way that God was with them is shown in verse 14. He stirred them up. Uh, The word stirred up here means to rouse. It's like when someone is, is, is half asleep and you give them a nudge like this and they go, whoa, like that. All right? That's what it means to to rise them up. Maybe some of you have just done that to the person that's sitting next to you. That's really funny. Um, But the word is used in Ezra here when God moved the heart of King Cyrus to allow the people to go home and when God moved the hearts of the people to return to their land. That's the context of what's going on in Haggai. God worked here to energize the people so that they had both the desire and the ability to fulfill the task God had given them to do. He stirred them up. And God does the same for us. As Christians, we've been given the Holy Spirit, who is God in us. You know, when God says, I will be with you, he fulfills that command by giving us the Holy Spirit to live inside us. So that we can obey He is the helper. He enables us to do the work God calls us to do, namely obeying his word. And also, sometimes in in special ways, God will come upon a community of his people and work powerfully among them, stirring them up. And we should be longing for God to stir up our nation, to stir up our church nationally, to stir up the church here in Pelsall. We should be praying prayers like in Isaiah 69 verse 1. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That God would stir us up, church, that we would not just obey his word, but that we would long to obey it, that we would obey it with power, that we'd go out and share the gospel that people would be saved as the Spirit works, stirring them up. Pray this week as we begin ministries again after the break, that God would stir up the leaders, that God would stir up the young people and the children, that God would stir all of us up, that we would obey his word and he would do great things through us as we follow his commands. Because it's only the work of the Spirit in us that can open our eyes to who God is and to empower us to do what he calls us to do. It's only the Spirit in us that is going to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. And so let us be praying, Lord, stir us up, rend the heavens, come down, work among us. And he will answer those prayers because he says, I will give the Spirit to those 
who ask of me. The way God works in this is through the prayers of his people. So let's pray. Let's pray that God would move and and stir us up. And if you're struggling with that, just pray that God would stir you up to pray. We need God to stir us up like he does with the people here, don't we? That his name would be glorified among us. But notice again in verse 14 how the work began again with the leaders and then filtered down to the remnant. The leaders depended on God's spirit and the leaders were stirred up. The whole community of God's people were dependent on the spirit. The whole community was stirred up. So we've seen who obeyed the whole community and we've seen why they obeyed. They recognized God's voice. They revered his name. They received his spirit. And finally, we see how they obeyed. In fact, what we read in these verses is what we read about in Ezra 5. I'm going to read you these verses again. Uh, We read them last week, but they're helpful. This is what's going on. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet, a descendant of Ido, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, son of Josedach, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were there with them, supporting them. So this is what's going on in these verses. Haggai and also Zechariah are preaching, preaching, preaching sharing God's word with them, giving them the messages. And then the people are listening to God's voice and they are stirred up and they are serving and serving and serving. And as it's going on, the temple is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and the work of God is being accomplished. And so the work of preaching here is really to equip the saints to do that work of serving Jesus in the community where they're at. And at the end of verse 14, we see that they began the work. They obeyed, first of all, by making a start. And I think that's the hardest step, isn't it, in obedience, is, is, is to just get on with it. The hardest thing is to get off our backsides, isn't, is it not? It's like when you want to start exercising for the first time in ages. It's hard to get going, isn't it? Um, I, I had to have a break from playing squash for a number of months because I had a shoulder injury. And when I started playing again, boy, it was, it was hard work. I had, I had blisters on my feet. Uh, I had, uh, my muscles were aching. All my shots were off because I'd lost all my sharpness. It took me some time to literally, in squash terms, get in the swing of things. And there is a, a pun intended there, which I found really funny. But when my, I told Paula and Libby about it, they didn't think it was so. But anyway, but for some of us, those kind of spiritual muscles or muscles of service have perhaps been getting used to being lazy or disobedient, or even there's been times when we've been out of action for various reasons, and the hardest thing to do, isn't it, is to get going again. To get going again. But with God with them, they got going. They began to obey, and so too with us, even if those first steps are hard going. Eventually, we see that the the temple was completed, but it took those first steps to get going, didn't it? Their obedience also was in doing exactly what God had said. There wasn't any caveats or questioning. They just did what God asked. In their case, it was building the temple. And notice in verse 15, they obeyed quickly. They obeyed 
quickly. Uh, there's a time stamp here. Notice what it says. On the 24th day of the sixth month. That's the 21st of September, 520 BC. It took about a month before everything came together. A month, by the way, especially in this time before Amazon Prime, really wasn't very long. Uh, obedience was quick. And in fact, the longer you leave it, the harder it gets to get going. And in the end, it just doesn't happen. And so here is a right response to a challenging sermon. Not denial, not deflection, not detachment, certainly not despair, but swift obedience to the word of the Lord our God. Brothers and sisters, in what areas do you need to repent of sin and obey the word of the Lord? Think about that. Perhaps there is a sin that you are indulging in. Perhaps, as we looked at last week, you need to get involved in a team here at church. Uh, I'm going to, again, at the end of the service, because a number of people were away last week, uh, leave a QR code on the screen, which you can scan, and it takes you to a, a form to volunteer for various activities that we need help in in the church. If you can't use the QR code... Uh, Paula doesn't know this yet, but she will have uh, some paper copies uh, left for you to take away if you want to uh, fill one of those in, just to be able to get involved in some of the work going on here in the church. Perhaps that's something that you can respond to God's word with. Perhaps there's a relationship that you need to restore. Perhaps there's a circumstance that you need to accept rather than complain about. In all of these things, in our repentance, God is with us, and God will help us as we obey his voice. And if we want a model for this kind of obedience to the will of our Father, we look no further than our Lord Jesus Christ. He was going to the cross to suffer the punishment for our sin. He was in anguish over this step of obedience, and what does Jesus pray? He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your be will be done. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8 says this, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That's obedience, is it not? We look no further than Jesus, the one who obeyed his Father to save you and I from our sins. That's what saves us, his obedience. How do we respond? We listen to his word and we do what it says by the power of the Spirit to the glory of God. May that be, brothers and sisters, our response to God's word, yes? Well, what we're going to do in response is we're going to just have a moment of, of quiet where we can just reflect for a moment on what we've heard in God's word today. And then we're going to respond in song. 
First of all, we're going to sing Highest Place, which basically is Philippians 2, 5 to 8. And then we're going to respond by singing, Yet not I, but through Christ in me, which reminds us that it is through the power of Christ in us that we obey his word and we go through the paths he has for us. So let's just have a moment of quiet, then I'll pray, and then we'll sing in response. Our Father, we have been challenged by your word this morning, but help us to respond in the right way. I pray that we would not deny our need of you and our need of your forgiveness. I pray that as we respond to your word, we won't just spend our time deflecting by thinking about how the person next to us or around us Or the person we live with should be responding to your word. Help us to obey ourselves. Help us not to uh, be detached and not bothered about your word. Help us to know this is the word of God, our Father. And Lord, deliver us from despair. Help us to know that the obedience of Christ to going to the cross and dying for our sin means we are forgiven people as we come to you to seek that forgiveness. By the power of your spirit, we pray we would obey your word. And we thank you that you have promised to be with us. And so whatever path we have to tread this week, whether that be a path of suffering and difficulty, whether that path be our everyday employment, whether that path be our caring for our loved ones or as parents, whatever it may be, May we obey your word knowing that you are with us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, why don't we stand and sing God's word together? <laughs> 